Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to James chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. I'll read that in just a moment. Looking at uh, continuing our study in the book of James, James is really all about how to live out your faith. We've learned about uh, how to deal with the trials of life, how to deal with temptation, and today we're going to be looking at how to treat other people. So let's look in our Word of God to James chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dresses in fine clothes, and there also comes a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves? And become judged with evil motives? Listen, my brethren, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? Do you have but you have dishonored the poor man? It is not the rich, is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into the court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, as we study your word today, Lord, I feel that every one of us will feel convicted because, Lord, we are so guilty of judging people by what we see. And, Lord, instead of seeing their heart like you do, help us, Lord, to take this passage of Scripture seriously. Help us, Lord, to surrender ourselves anew to you, allow you to work in us so that we can Truly live out our faith in a way that honors you. Lord, continue to guide us in our study of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I'm a pretty avid book reader, and I'll be honest with you. It's pretty easy to judge a book by its cover. Have y'all been there? You, you go through the bookstore, and you, you see something that kind of catches your attention. Maybe it's the title or the artwork of the cover, and you're kind of drawn to it. And, you know, you don't really know how good the book will be until you actually take it and read it. Sometimes after a chapter or two, you're saying, why in the world did I ever pick up this book? Other times you say, I have found an author I really want to read more of. But we kind of tend to do this same thing with individuals. Look around today. Look at each other for just a second. What do you see? Well, most of you know each other pretty well. You know what type of work you've done. You know who you're kin to. You know uh, what stages of life you're in. You know all these intricate things about each other, mainly because you're just very familiar with each other. You've been a part of this family of God for many years. But what does God see? What does God see when he's looking at you? He's not looking at what you're wearing whether your hair's fixed just right, 
He's not looking at anything but your heart. And that's really what this message is all about. Not judging people by their looks. So we look and we see that God is actually condemning any bias towards others. That he wants us to see others the way he sees them. He wants us to see their heart. Well, you know, this isn't the only place in the Word of God that we hear about judging others by their appearance. If you go over to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 6 through 7, you'll find that God had chosen Samuel, a prophet, to go and to anoint a new king, a new king of Israel, to replace Saul. We know that that ends up being David. But Samuel had a tough time. He goes to the house of Jesse, and Jesse starts bringing out his sons. Here's what 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 6 through 7 says. When they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointing is before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. If it's up to Samuel, guess who would have been the king of Israel after Saul? Eliab. He saw this tall, distinguished young man standing before him. He said, that's the markings of a king. But God said, nope, not him. You're looking at the outward appearance. I'll show you their heart. Matter of fact, David wasn't even in the room that day. After Saul had, Samuel had gone through all the sons of Jesse, he said, God's rejected all these. Is there another? They had to bring David out of the field. He was keeping sheep. And God said, he's the one. This little, ruddy, young lad at that time. But God knew his heart. And so we look and we see, Lord, are we just as guilty? Well, let's look at this passage of Scripture and kind of break it down a little bit. The first two words say, my brethren. What does that mean? It means that James is talking and writing to Christians. Not pagans, not, not the normal person on the street who should, we just assume, is guilty of judging people by their appearance. No, he's saying, my brethren, fellow believers in Christ. Then he says, let's look at your faith. He says, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. But he's really talking about what kind of faith do we have? We have a faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. We need to understand that the whole reason for our worship is to glorify Jesus. Because he is worthy of all praise and all glory. And so our entire focus as an as a believer, as a Christian, should be focused on Jesus and no one else. We don't need to be looking at what others can do for us or what we might can do for others. But he's saying, we have this faith in Jesus, the one who died for us, the one who sacrificed himself on the cross for our sins, the one who's placed in that tomb, who came back to life, raised from the dead, to prove that he had overcome the penalty of sin and had given us that gift of eternal life. That's the focus of our faith. 
Faith says, but you have allowed that faith to be tainted by an attitude of personal favoritism. And then he basically just goes on and says, let me give you some examples, vivid examples. He says, two men walk into your assembly, walking into this church building right now. One of them has a gold ring on. Well, he's got a gold ring. Well, most men who are married have a gold ring. But in that day, wearing something of gold was much rare. It really was a sign of class and status. Matter of fact, a lot of people didn't own a gold ring. And so in order to, to make themselves look more high class, if they went to a social event, they would rent a gold ring to wear. Well, this man has a gold ring. It's probably his own. And he's wearing fine clothing. In other words, he looks good. But yet, another man comes in. Now, most people feel that if you come to the Lord's house, you ought to wear something pretty decent. You shouldn't wear the worst thing that you have. You shouldn't wear ragged, dirty clothes. But that's exactly what this man has on. He is wearing dirty, filthy, probably smelly clothes. Well, what happened? Well, what happened was the same thing that would probably happen here and in thousands and thousands and millions of churches around the world. Those who were there showed favoritism. Well, let me give you a couple of real-life examples of this taking place. And again, they, they don't have a very good result. This took place many years ago. I read a story about a casually dressed man who entered a church in the, in the Netherlands. And he took a seat up near the front, which obviously was not a Baptist church. Because this would be the area where most people would want to be in this church. And a few minutes later... A lady walks in. She sees a man in her seat. Well, she did the only Christian thing that she could think of. She went and told him to leave, to get out of her seat. And he humbly did. The only place left was in the back. Obviously, again, was not a Baptist church because that's where all the poor people sat. Well, after the service was over with, a friend of hers came up and says, Do you know who that man was that you ordered to leave your seat. She goes, no. Well, it just so happened he is King Oscar of Sweden. He's here to visit with the queen. I don't know if it made any difference in her thought pattern or not, but can you imagine doing that to somebody of that highest stature? Well, here's another bad situation. I don't know if you know much about Mahatma Gandhi. He was a basically a lawyer, and in India, he really struggled with the caste system of how the, really the lower castes were treated. And he wanted to try to do some kind of social changes to, to help alleviate the burdens of the lower caste system. And so he was training to be a, a, a lawyer, and he wanted to find out how he could be used to help those who were so low in society. Well, he was studying as a student, and as he was studying, he actually began to study the Gospels. And he was amazed at the teachings of Jesus. 
He says, I believe that Jesus is the answer. I believe that Jesus is the answer for India to overcome this caste system. And so he decided he would go to a Christian church locally. So he arrived, and guess what happened? An usher met him at the door, would not seat him, and said, why don't you go and worship with your own kind? Well, Mahatma Gandhi turned around and left, never returned. His whole purpose for coming was to hear the word of God and to talk with the pastor about becoming a Christian. Can you imagine what India would have been like if Mahatma Gandhi had approached his way of dealing with the social situation from a Christian viewpoint instead of returning to his Hindu viewpoint? The world will never know, will they? One man stood in the way of God doing a miraculous work of salvation in that man's life. Now, folks... Those are real life stories. That was actually written by Mahatma Gandhi in his autobiography. It's not just a make-believe story. It's his own words. How guilty am I and how guilty are we of judging people by their looks, by their appearance? I'll be honest with you. Pretty easy to do, isn't it? We kind of look at people by their status in life. We think about, you know, what kind of position they have in life, how many degrees they have, what can they do for me, what would happen with me if I became a friend of them and they saw me as an associate, as someone that you know, I could be seen with. It's so easy to do, very easy to do. Then James asks a question, dealing with becoming a judge with evil motives. Basically what he says, look at verse 4, he says, Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Here's basically what James is saying. Who made you judge? Did God say, I'm tired, I want you to be the judge of other people from here on out? Has God ever told you that? See, God's the only right judge. He has never given us his job of being judged. Matter of fact, he says, you shall not judge others. So, what gives us the right to judge the spiritual worth of another person? Now, I know I'm stepping on some toes. I've been stepping on mine all week studying through this. Because I am guilty of this. I believe we all are. So the question is, are we guilty of showing bias, distinctions between men of worth simply because of their status in life, how they appear, the clothes they wear, positions they have in society, how they carry themselves, they carry themselves with confidence, nice looking, or do we see the heart? Well, the one thing that we have to understand is heart can't be seen. You have to get to know it. 
You have to spend time with the person to get to know their heart. You have to hear what they have to say. You have to see how they act and react with others. That's the only way that you'll ever get to know the heart of another. God's basically saying in verse 5, listen, my ways are not your ways. He says, listen, my beloved brethren, did God not choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? James is saying, you got it backwards. You're thinking that, these, that this rich man with all his fine clothing, with the gold ring, is someone special. God's saying, no, that poor man that you sent to the back wall or told to sit on the floor, he's the one that's more special to me. Why? God has always had a better relationship with the poor than he ever has with the rich. Why do you think that is? The poor realize that they have nothing physically, financially, but they are also more readily to say, I am poor in spirit as well. I have nothing to offer to God. I have nothing of finances, nothing materially to offer God, but I don't have anything spiritually to offer God either. They realize that they're sinners in Christ and that they don't deserve anything from God. But they're the ones most readily willing to say, Lord, I have nothing to offer you, but you have offered me something that I cannot refuse. You've offered me your son, Jesus, who died on the cross to save you from my sins. Lord, I have no way to ever repay that, but I accept it, thankfully. So the poor are poor financially, but also poor in spirit, and they are the ones most ready to open up their hearts to the gospel. Not so with the rich. The rich tend to have this arrogance about them. I have plenty. What do I need God for? Anything that I want, I buy or find a way to gain. I really don't need God. Oh, with my wealth, I do some charitable things. If you really knew their heart, they do these charitable things so that others will see them and praise them for what they've done. And best case scenario, they probably think, well, doing these good deeds is probably enough to get me into heaven anyway, so why do I need God? So that's basically what James is saying. You're ignoring the one that God loves the most, the one who loves God the most, because God not only sees their poverty, but he's taken them out of poverty, and he said, you are now my son. You're now my heir. My heaven is yours. I love you because you have placed your faith in my son Jesus. You are now my child. That's what God is saying. That poor man that got sent back to the back wall or told to sit in the floor, they have had the most open heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ of anyone. How was he treated? 
Is he treated with the love of Christ? Obviously not. So we look and we see that our ways are not God's ways because God looks at the heart. He looks at the person instead of the appearance. And so the question is, how do we see the heart? How do we look at others? We need to find a way to look at others through the eyes of God because he is the one that can give us that divine wisdom and understanding of who we're dealing with. In other words, we need to look past the physical. We need to look past the social, where they are in society, how much money they have, how well they're dressed, how good they smell. We need to look at the heart like God did. Samuel was guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. And so are we. So we need to surrender to the Lordship of Christ, all of you. Allow His Spirit to be the guiding force in what we see and how we react to others. Well, verse 6 kind of just steps on the toes of us even more. It says, But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into the courts? To be honest, it's kind of surprising that this rich man with the fine clothes and the gold ring even came into their assembly. Most rich do not even feel that there's a need for this religious mumbo-jumbo. But for whatever reason, he felt like he needed to be seen by the, the poor in society. So he shows up at their assembly. And basically what James is saying is, you're dishonoring the people like yourself. Because the large majority of the congregations in James' day were the poor. He's saying, this very person that you are showing favoritism to, that you are lifting up and saying, oh, what a wonderful person you are. Thank you for being here today. Come and take this great seat down front. He's the same one that abuses you and sues you in court. What does that mean? It means that the rich have ways of getting what they want. If for some reason he harmed you or damaged your property, according to the Levitical laws, there's some pretty strict things that he would have to do to make payment. All he had to do is go into the courts where he knows the judge really well, and all those things would just be wiped away. And he'll, he won't have any problems. Or if you happen to own something, a piece of land or property that he would like to have, well, he'd just take you and sue you over it. And again, because he has the right connections, it will soon be his and not yours. This same man abuses you, and yet you are praising him for being in your presence and ignoring and really abusing the one whose heart is right. He wants to be there in spite of his filthiness. So we look and we see that we need to remember that God sees the heart. Verse 7 even says, Do they, the rich, do they not even blaspheme the fair name of Jesus which you have been called? He's saying, by blessing this man for being in your presence, you're basically blessing a blasphemer. You're saying... We really don't care what you think about our Lord Jesus. 
We just want you here. We want to hear your gold coins dropping into our offering plates. We want you to maybe help our church be a little bit classier. You know, if you're a member of this congregation, we'll look better in the community. We might even get more people come because you're here. Blessing the one who curses God. That's basically what these people were being charged with. Well, how do we wrap this up? How do we look at other people? A pastor friend of mine shared, a, I believe, a true story about a, a seminary professor who was coming to, to speak at an engagement. He's going to be the keynote speaker. Well, the host introduced him. He says, this man has so many accolades. It would take me all day to, to share them. But he tried his best to hit some of the high points. He says, this man has a Ph.D. from a, a renowned university. He also has a Doctor of Letters. I, I really didn't know what a Doctor of Letters is. It's really kind of like the next step above a Ph.D. where Ph.D. you basically go through and kind of focus on a major and kind of pinpoint uh, an area of that major. And then uh, the Doctor of Letters, you do even more research in that area. And usually you're writing articles and you're trying to get published. And once you achieve that level, you have really gone up another step. Well, this man also wanted to be a seminary professor to teach young men uh, how to examine the Word of God and to share it with others. And so he finished off all of his doctorates with a Doctor Divinity degree. Three doctorates. I can't imagine. And then, probably feeling a little proud about himself one day, he looked down at an article he had written, and at the bottom it had his name and his degrees after it. Had his name and PhD, DL, DD. He said, you know, you know what that equals? Fiddle DD. You know, I think God kind of put him in his place right then. I may be boasting about all these degrees, but to God, it just means fiddle dee dee. So folks, I don't know where you are in life. I don't know what your status in this community is. I have probably a degree of understanding. But are you looking for others to look up at you because of who you are, how you dress, how you carry yourself, the position you have, if so, well then, fiddle dee dee. That's really how God looks at you. Because God is not looking at the outward appearance. God's looking at the heart. And God's the only one that truly knows my heart and yours. So how do we deal with this? Well, first, we must learn not to judge others by what they either have or don't have. Wealth or prestige actually means absolutely nothing to God. There's nothing evil in having wealth and status. Many people have used it for God's glory. We know of the story of uh, uh, Barnabas. He gave all the proceeds of, of his property. Wealthy man, but he used that wealth for God's glory. And we look and we see that 
God bless Solomon with great wealth. He has used people of great wealth for his honor and glory. There's nothing wrong with that. But the first thing is, in God's eyes, wealth and prestige mean nothing. For God, he's looking at the heart. What God wants is somebody who has surrendered their all to him. And they're saying, Lord, whatever I have is yours. Use it, use me in whatever way you desire. And then God knows that's my child. And I can place my faith in him and know that he's going to do what I command him to do. He'll be obedient to my will. So secondly, we need to stop looking at the appearance and look at the heart. Well, how do you look at the heart? We're talking about what really makes a person tick spiritually. Get to know them. Listen to them. See how they live their lives out. Are they living out their faith? That's how you go find out the heart. Quit looking at the outward appearance and look at the heart. I stand before you today admitting that I'm guilty. Not only do I judge a book by its cover, but I judge people by, its co- by their cover. It's somewhat impossible to do to a degree. We look at people, we look at how they appear, how they carry themselves. You know, you're very much more attracted to somebody with a big smile on their face and, and who is, you know, jovial and, and, you know, warm towards other people than you are to somebody who kind of sits alone by themselves and doesn't want to really communicate with others. We're guilty, aren't we? God's telling us, don't look at the appearance. Look at the heart. Let's bow together. Dear Lord, open our hearts today to to get rid of the prejudices and the biases and the favoritism that we all so easily possess. The Lord, in its place, help us to allow your spirit to give us spiritual eyes so that we can get to know the people who are around us and to see their heart. To see if their heart is linked to you, surrendered to you, allowing you to work in their lives. Lord, when that is true, it matters not what they have or don't have. What matters is that they are your child and they love you And they are trying to share your love with others. Lord, forgive us for our favoritism. Convict us when we do it. Show us the error of our way. And then help us, Lord, to focus on the heart. To never push someone away because they don't look like us. Lord, to welcome all so that you can do your work in their hearts and lives. Lord, I pray that from this day forward that whoever walks into this sanctuary on any given Sunday will be welcomed regardless of what they look like. 
Lord, I pray that from this day forward that you will open my eyes to see their hearts. And Lord, that you'll use me and this congregation to be ministers of your gospel to anyone who comes. May we be found faithful, Lord, to your spirit working in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.